Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And the title of my message today is Hand-Me-Downs. Hand-Me-Downs. My my great-grandparents are um, getting, my grandparents are getting pretty old, and uh, they're my kids' great-grandparents, and um, that's sort of how it works. Uh, usually by the time they get the great title, um, you know, they're, they're getting up there. And so the last time we took my kids to Arizona to visit them, um, we went over to their, their little house, and uh, they, were, they were trying to, uh, in the midst of sort of downsizing um, their lives and just getting rid of some of the stuff that they've collected over the years. And they wanted to gift my kids with things that they had collected. And um, they had all sorts of treasures that they were excited to give my children um, that my children had no idea what to do with. Uh, they were trying to give them wind chimes and uh, the cuckoo clocks that they had, uh, garden gnomes, all the stuff that kids love. You know what I mean? Uh, if I had a nickel for every time there's a junior high kid that was like, you know what I'm about? Wind chimes. That's what I'm into, okay? Anybody else excited for that uh, limited edition wind chime drop that's about to happen? I just, I love to hear them go jingle, jangle, dingle, dangle on the porch. It makes me high five, right? I've never heard it. It never happens. It's not really what kids are into. And it was interesting, like, watching my kids' faces as their great-grandparents, whom they, they love, are trying to give them these things that they can tell that they kind of care about. But my kids just don't really care about this stuff. And they're just like, I love you, but I don't really like this, but I don't want to be rude. And my mom's giving me a weird look right now, and I'm not really sure what the appropriate thing to do is. And so they graciously took the the gifts from their grandparents and walked out to the car and the whole ride home were like, what, 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 what do I do with this? I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with this. And they just felt weird. And I felt bad for every single person involved because I knew my kids felt uncomfortable. I knew they didn't know what to do. I knew they didn't want to do the wrong thing. And my grandparents felt uncomfortable and they didn't know what to do. And they were trying to do what was right and good in their eyes. And it was just a moment that wasn't connecting. And I, I, I had compassion in that moment because it reminded me of something that I went through when I was a kid. When I was about eight years old, my mom's mom passed away. She died really suddenly. And after the funeral, my, my parents took us all over to my grandma and grandpa's house, and we were going to sort through all of my grandma's stuff and figure out what to do with all of it. And my grandma had rooms and rooms just packed full of stuff, just stacks and stacks everywhere. And I remember going over the house and there were a couple rooms in my grandmother's house that I'd never even been in before because the door wouldn't open. It wasn't locked. There was just stuff there probably that had fallen and, and sort of like, you know, collapsed into the door. And for the first time, some of these doors were actually open to me. And I remember my grandpa saying to all of us kids, uh, we, we need to, we need to sort of, you know, clear out all of this stuff, which means guys, guys, listen to this. You can have anything you want 
And I was like, oh, wow. And I was ready for the adventure to begin. And at eight years old, I remember walking through all of these rooms and looking at all the stuff and coming back to my grandpa and saying, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like I... (laughs) It wasn't really anything that I wanted. You know what I mean? I was like looking around all the stuff and I was just like, there's some weird stuff in here. I don't even know what half this is. None of this really excites me. I'll be honest, there's probably some wind chimes and some cuckoo clocks and some, you know, ceramic uh, lawn gnomes in that mix as well. And nothing appealed to me. You know, I was eight. I just didn't care. And I felt bad saying that. But it was the truth. That was what was real for me at that moment. And so we spent the day sort of clearing out all these rooms, like silently walking in and out of the house and stacking all of her stuff in a dumpster. It was a weird moment, even as a kid, of just thinking about, look at all this stuff. It seemed to matter once, but not anymore. Now, I don't think we think about this, you know, um, in those moments where we're like excited about a purchase and we swipe our card or click that little, it's so easy now, right? The add to cart. Oh man, I've got carts full of stuff all in my open tabs. Uh, I've never actually clicked the the buy now thing because I'm afraid of my wife, but like I... It's in the cart, you know what I mean? And when we're adding all this stuff and and purchasing all this stuff, you know, we don't really think about it, but the sobering truth is much of what we buy for ourselves now ends up being an imposition on others later. In fact, the weird thing about this is some of us actually end up paying off the debt that somebody else accrued to buy stuff they gave us that we don't even want. How weird is that? I'm paying down the debt for what? For things that people bought me. They wanted to hand it down. Do you like it? I hate it. I thought I was actually throwing it all away. But I'm still paying for their poor decisions. And the reason I bring this up is I can't imagine that this is the story that you want to tell with your money. And yet, a lot of us are on a trajectory where this is the exact story that we'll be telling, but it doesn't have to be. There's this uh, ancient Hebrew saying in the book of Proverbs that goes like this. It says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22, good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Now, I want you to think about this. Like, even if you're not a person of faith, because this isn't about Christians, right? This is, this is describing good people. And regardless of what your background is or what your level of interest or involvement with God is, you probably, chances are good, you probably want to be a good person. So this is talking to all of us. And what this is saying is good people use their money to make a positive impact on their community. The word grandchildren that's used right here in this context is actually a reference to your tribe or your your greater spiritual community. Uh, It's not as much about like your biological grandkids as much as your, your sort of your greater community or your spiritual 
community or your spiritual family. And essentially what it was saying is good people aren't just focused on themselves or their immediate family, but the long-term care of their community, which is a challenging thought. It goes on to say that, that the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. Now, sinner here actually essentially just means self-focused. And so what it's saying is that the self-focused spender's money will eventually be redistributed to somebody who will use it wisely, who will do with it what God wants done, which brings up a really big question. Like, what does God want done? There's this passage um, that one of the New Testament pastors writes to one of the first churches. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And he's describing or trying to answer this question. And he says that God will generously provide all you need and plenty left over to share with others. So share freely and give generously to those in need. And your good deeds will be remembered forever. And God will provide and increase your resources so that you can always be generous. So essentially what this is saying is that everything you have comes from God, but not everything God gives you is just for you. Like some of it is there for you to be able to meet your needs, but some of it is to share and to give generously. And when you do, that's a legacy people will remember. One that will leave an impact because that's what good people do. And not only will God provide for your needs, but God will give you more than you need. And the reason God gives you more than you need is not just so you'll have more, but so you'll give more, so that you'll be generous on every occasion. Now, the reason that this is a really powerful thought and the reason why it is so quiet in here right now is because nobody actually does this, right? This is not the way that our culture thinks or lives, not for the most part. Like, in all honesty, we're not quite sure God is actually going to provide for all of our needs. I mean, we don't want to say that out loud, but like, we've all had that thought, right? We're anxious. We're nervous, I mean, God, I trust you with my eternity. I don't know if I trust you with the economy. That's a little crazy. I mean, that feels a little bit too much, a little bit too uncomfortable. I got doubts. And for most of us, if we have a moment in which we get more, our first impulse is not to give more, but to spend more. Like, what would it even look like to live the way that this Old Testament and New Testament verse are talking about? What would it look like to live your life in pursuit of being a good person, one who leaves something behind that people want that has made the community, the environment better because you were there and you invested in it. What would it look like to actually trust God with everything that you have and to look for ways to share and be generous on every occasion. I mean, most of us, we need some sort of a story to illustrate this because we're like, I've never seen it. I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, is there a movie on Netflix I could watch something? It sounds like more of a Hallmark channel thing, but like, is there something? And because of that, I want to share a story that I think speaks to this idea. It's from the life of Jesus. 
And it's found in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. It's one of the places this story is shared. It's in many different places. And it begins with Jesus on this hillside. And he's speaking to all these people. There are thousands of people gathered to hear Jesus speak. And he's been speaking all day. Like hours and hours and hours. Some of you guys think I get kind of long. But like Jesus... He's in like the sixth hour of preaching, and um, that's at least like one hour longer than I'm going to go today. And so it's a long period of time. He says this in Luke chapter 9, verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. So the story begins with the disciples, the people who are believing and follow Jesus, they see a need and they immediately bring it to Jesus, which is great. It's what God wants us to do. But they go one step further because they want to be helpful people. They don't just tell Jesus what the need is. They tell him how they think he ought to meet the need. Jesus, I want you to be aware of the problem that you probably aren't aware of, but I also have some really great ideas of how you should solve the problem. I love like the boldness here. I'm sure that God was really grateful for that. I wonder, have you ever done this before? Have you ever like, you know, pointed something out to God as if he wasn't aware and then told him like what he should be doing um, as if he needed your advice? Like as if you thought in your head that God was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I, I gotta be real with you. I didn't even know that was going on. I didn't even see that. Right? I, mean, I wasn't even aware of that problem. And once you brought it up, immediately I was panicked because even though I'm God, I was just like, I have no idea what to do. But now that you told me what I can do to solve a problem that I wasn't aware of, oh, I am so relieved. Not quite. And this is Jesus' response because Jesus is brilliant and also sufficiently sarcastic. Luke chapter 9, verse 13. But Jesus said, you feed them. Like, hey, Jesus, there's thousands of people here and they're all starving and you are talking forever. We like you, but it's, I mean, I've, I've taken two naps in the middle of this. This is so much. And I, like, you know, you should feed them. And this is, I mean, there's nothing to eat around here. And Jesus is like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're probably right. Why don't you feed them? And they're stunned, right? They're like, this is not the response they were looking for. They're like, no, no, no. I, Jesus, you, I think you misunderstood what I was trying to do. Like, I'm telling you the problem so you can fix it, okay? I already did my part. I told you, okay? I pointed it out. I prayed once. I mean, that's enough. Like, now it's kind of on you. Do a miracle. You know how you do. But here's the thing that I, I, I hope that you understand about God, that I think a lot of us haven't internalized about who God is and the way God works. God will never do a miracle for you that doesn't require anything of you. There's always a point of participation because God is not interested in having you sit back so he can do an impressive magic trick. If we're not involved then there's not much we can learn from the process, which is why God puts us in the story and gives us a part to play. And Jesus is saying, like, I want you to understand, um, 
it's smart of you to realize that, that this problem that you're facing, you can't do it without me. But there's something else I want you to understand. I won't do it without you. If you want to see something happen, I'm willing to put my supernatural help behind you, but it's going to require you to sacrifice too. This isn't something I'm going to do. This is something we're going to do. And then this is what his followers say to that. It says, but, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go and buy food for this whole crowd? There were about 5,000 men there. 5,000 men, because this is when they, how they sort of counted people in the ancient world. So that means there are also women and children there, which means there's likely close to 20,000 people, all who are hungry. And the disciples, in kind of a snarky way, are like, Jesus, you don't understand. <laughs> I, I know what you're asking of me. I can't do what you're asking me to do because I don't have anything that can solve a problem this big. Like everything I have is way too small to meet a need this large. And Jesus pushes back and asks the same two questions that he always asks us anytime we become aware of a problem that there's a good chance his spirit drew our attention to. He asks them essentially, what do you have? What can you do? Well, I can't do that. Okay, well, forget about that. What do you have? What can you do? And interesting, when they start looking, they actually find something, which is interesting. You ever have these conversations with God? We're like, God, you got to do something. And he's like, right, yeah. And what, what, what part are you going to play? They're like, oh, I don't, have, I don't have anything. There's nothing I can do. That's nothing that big. And he's like, really? You don't have anything? And you're like, well, I mean, nothing good. <laughs> I mean, all I really have is I got $32. And three hours of free time this week, which I was going to kind of catch up on this Netflix show. But I mean, like, whatever, if you want it. And Jesus is like, oh, I, I thought you said you didn't have anything. That's something. Bring that little something to me and put it in my hands. And we find out from another account of the same story that what they actually bring him, these five loaves and two fish, is actually a little boy's sack lunch. And it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 16, that Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. And they ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. So God just so we're tracking in the story, God takes what they gave him, this little tiny bit. He blesses it. He breaks it. He gives it back to them and they distribute it. Like, and this is the way that it happened, according to this text, right? That they went to Jesus and he was like, here's a, here's a little bit to, to go give away. And then they take that and they go and they give that away. And then it's gone. And then they went back to Jesus and Jesus is like, oh, here's some more. And they're like, are you serious? And so they grab that and they go back and they give that away. They kept going back and forth from Jesus to the people. And what ends up happening is that God keeps giving as long as they keep distributing. But when they stop distributing to others, God stops giving to them. That's interesting, right? There's probably a principle there. I'll let you guys think about that on your own time. Now, this is a miraculous story. 
right? For some of us, we're just like, it's hard for me to even believe like that something like this could happen. But I want us to think about this just from what it could be saying to us now, like the principles involved in the Why would Jesus, uh, you know, want this story included in his story inside of Scripture? And what I find fascinating about this is that although the story is miraculous, it could have like been over it multiple times, right? Because the disciples could have refused to do what Jesus asked them. Well, what do you have? And they're like, we said nothing. We're just going to sit here and wait for you to figure it out. The story's over. That's it. There's nothing more that would happen after that. The boy, the little boy, could have hoarded what he had, right? He could have been like, the, he hears the announcement, and he's like, oh, put that away, <laughs> you know? The disciples, when they collected what the little boy had, because if everyone was hungry, guess who was also hungry? The disciples. You ever do that with Jesus where you're like, Jesus, I mean, uh, people have needs. He's like, what people? You're like, just people I know. Jesus, everyone thinks. He's like, who, think, who thinks it? Uh, isn't, isn't it weird how we don't want to actually just say what we need? We got to blame it on other people. They could have taken what the little boy had and just ate it and then pretended like that nobody had anything. You better figure it out, Jesus. But because everybody in this story chose to live open-handedly and do what God asked them to do with what they had access to, they all got to be part of a story that still echoes throughout history. In other words, like, like the promise that's made in, in, this, in these first two passages we read together like are actually true of these people. Their good deeds are remembered. They leave an inheritance behind them. And here's what I think all this is pointing to. Living blessed is the result of giving to bigger stories, not getting better stuff. And that begs a pretty big question of each of us that I think we ought to face this morning. What if you, like these people in this story, what if you're on the verge of an incredible shared story, but it requires you to live open-handedly? And that's what's holding you back. I want the story, but I don't want to have to let go of my stuff. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I, I like to imagine myself in the story because I'm ADD and it keeps me interested. And I like to imagine myself in the story preferably as the hero, right? Like, that, of course, that's who you want to cast yourself. And I'm usually not that person, but I like to imagine that I am. And I got to be honest, if I'm the kid in this story, I probably would not have done what he did. I, like, knowing myself, just I hate to admit this, but like, I probably would have just eaten my lunch and been like, sorry, guys. You all should have planned ahead. Why do I got to suffer? Because you all stupidly didn't pack any snacks. You never heard about Jesus before? He talked for a long time. We had to hike here. I mean, I got hungry every 15 minutes. You guys didn't pack anything? Like, why is that my problem? This guy's long-winded. I mean, I, like, and, and, and now, and now, like, are you guys watching me eat this while you're hungry, now I'm the bad guy? because I don't want to give what I worked hard for to people I don't even know. I brought it because I need it. It's mine, and I'm going to eat it. Is anybody else as unspiritual as me? Probably most of you, and only a few that want to admit it, and that's fine. You know what I think prevents me from living more open-handedly? This is just a real thing about the way my brain works. 
I'm really good at convincing myself that whatever I want is something I need. And so even if I have a good amount, I need it all. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing extra here. I gotta be real with you guys. I know you're looking at me judgy, but I have pared everything down to the bare essentials. These are need, these are survival items. If I shipwrecked on a desert island, I didn't have these things, I would die. I would die. I mean, it's just like, this is all, this is, I, these are needs in my life. I mean, I need, I need my Starbucks every single day. I got to have it. Okay. You don't want to know me if I don't. And I mean, I could, you know, get coffee from other places. I know people do Folgers, but like, what am I, a peasant? I'm not going to do that. Okay. I'm not a grandparent from 1982. Okay. I'm not, no, I need the good stuff. Okay. I got to go through and get it. And that's how I do it. And like, here's the thing, you know, I, I need to upgrade my phone. I, I just be real with you guys. I need to. I have the 13. I need the 14. And the reason is because I don't like to delete anything on my phone. And I need the, the, the camera. I need the good, the good camera because the other camera is like just like a little bit less. And I need the, the better for the thing. And then like some of my apps won't update. You guys don't know the struggle. I mean, and so I got to get it. I mean, it's not a one, it's a, it's a need. So I gotta, and I do work on my phone too. I mean, it's mostly for Instagram and TikTok, but like I do some work on it. I need it. I need it. I need it. I need the good one. I need to get some new clothes. It's been a long time. It's been at least two weeks since my last purchase. And I feel like I need something new, something name brand. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I have is out of style. I know I got a week ago, but like, I feel like people need to see me like that I'm keeping it fresh. You know, like we need, we need these two brand new vehicles. I mean, I know one of them is parked most of the time, but like we need to have them because what if she wants to go somewhere when I want to go somewhere and we got to have both of the things. And I, I get that they're 2023 20, models, but like we needed to get those because, you know, I got to, for my job, you know, people need to see that like I'm bringing, you know, the whole thing. And if, obviously I got to, you, you got to eat lunch, you know? And it's like in my role, my position where I'm at, it's like, I can't just be bringing like a little kid lunchbox. You know what I mean? And so I got to, I got to go, you know, out and that costs money. I mean, these are, these are needs. These are essentials. Maybe I'm the only one who does this, but I think it's, it's easy to do. And here's what I think happens when we do this. We end up recategorizing our wants as needs insisting we can't give instead of admitting we just won't give. And why do we do that? Because we know intuitively that you can't give something away without giving something up. And we don't want to live on less. Now, obviously, we don't want to admit that. I mean, especially in church, that sounds really unspiritual. And saying that makes us feel bad. And so we try not to say it. We try not to think about it. And then we go somewhere like church, right? And then somebody puts a need in front of us and asks us to participate. And it's like, why are these people so obsessed with money? I mean, it's ridiculous. <sighs> we leave angry. And eventually, you know, we calm down. We eat some Chipotle, the, the frustration subsides. And we just decide, you know, we're going to avoid those places and those people, and that'll keep us calm. And we're just going to keep on buying the stuff that we like with the money that we earned. In fact, we got a mental checklist of, like, all the stuff we really can't wait to buy ourselves next. And we're just waiting on, you know, to be able to do it. And if you think about it, 
I know, because I know what you're thinking. If you think about it, though, they're really, they're not wants, they're needs. And it's not really just for me. I mean, they are for me, but like not like fully only just for me because someday I'm going to hand it down. Someday I'm going to leave this stuff behind. So when I'm gone, somebody that I really love will be able to inherit all of it and have the opportunity to silently stack it in a dumpster and watch it be hauled away. I got to tell you, this is why there are so many verses in Scripture about giving, because the divinely inspired authors understood that being blessed is a byproduct of building something you believe in with those you like for those in need. Think about the moments in your life where you have felt most fulfilled with what you did with what you had. I would imagine that, that the most blessed you've ever felt is consistent with what all the wisdom writers in Scripture tell us, that that feeling, that epiphany, was a byproduct of building something that was bigger than you, that you believed in, with people that you actually like, for people who were in need. But there's no way to do that without regularly saying no to yourself so you can say yes to something bigger. And for a lot of us, the biggest thing we know to give to is just our list of wants. And when your life is up, because you won't live forever, it doesn't feel as blessed as you think it's going to. So I think this brings up some really practical questions. Like, I mean, how do you know what bigger thing to give to? Because there's like a lot of needs out there. And so how do you know? I mean, if if being blessed is this byproduct of building, what things should you build, right? Like what things, how do you know what things that you believe in that you should invest in? And I think those are great questions and that sort of help you wrestle with that. I think God um, speaks to us and directs us through a couple questions. And I want you to write these down, just wrestle with these as you move through the rest of this week and into the end of this year. And the first question is this, what am I grateful for and what people and places provided it for me? What am I grateful for and what people and places provided it for me? The answer to this question is probably a place you ought to give. This is why I think people ought to make a plan to give to their church. Like if you are grateful for your church, you ought to have a plan to regularly give to your church. And if you are not grateful for your church, you ought to find a church that you can be grateful for and give there. If you're just like, I'm not really grateful for this church. Like we love you. That's a bummer. I get it. I know I'm not for everyone. I would love to introduce you to some of the other pastors. I would love to point you in a different direction. But I think you ought to find a place that you're grateful for and give there. To give to extend the impact of a place that has impacted you in a profound way. Now, let me say something offensive. Besides all the other offensive stuff that I've already said.
If you don't give, you're ungrateful. Now, I know you're thinking like, well, but that's not true. And that is offensive. You were right to preface it that way. Because here's the reality. I'm grateful in my heart. And I got to tell you, nobody cares about gratitude in your heart. And you already know that. When you're out to eat, your waitress does not care that you are grateful in your heart for her amazing service. She wants a tip. Show me the money. She's like, you know, I'm glad you feel grateful. Why don't you show me that you're grateful? Right? Like your utility provider doesn't care that you are grateful in your heart for all of the electricity they are funneling into your residence. They want you to pay the bill. Show us how grateful you are. Your wife does not care that you are grateful in your heart for all the crap of yours she put up with throughout the last year. She wants you to tell her and probably buy her some clothes and go ahead and put a down payment on that vacation. What what other things did you want, babe? I can't. (laughs) Ladies, that was a great time to amen. You really missed your moment. (laughs) Hopefully you were nudging or something. We'll forward the podcast. And here's why I say that. Unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. Nobody can be influenced or impacted by something you feel inside. For gratitude to actually do its job, you have to let it out in a practical way. Here's the second question. What breaks my heart and what people and places are addressing that issue? Like, what are things when you look around the world where you're like, that's not right, I hate that? Is it, is it that there are so many kids that don't have a home? So many kids in foster care or sitting in a home waiting to be adopted or brought into somebody's house? Is it homelessness? Is it recovery? Is it the rampant addiction and nowhere for people to find help? What is a problem that you really want to see solved? That when people get you talking about it, you go off. You have to actually take a walk around the block afterwards and calm yourself down. You have to apologize for yelling about that issue because it's a big deal to you. Who is working on it? And what do those people and places need to do a better job? Because guess what? Just like gratitude in your heart doesn't help anybody. Anger in your heart about injustice doesn't help anybody. I'll tell you, one of the the big reasons that Gretchen and I give to this church, even above and beyond our tithe, it's because it breaks my heart how many people have been hurt by church. And how many people, when they think about Christians in church, they think of it as a place that is unhelpful and hateful and judgmental and unwelcoming and uninteresting. And it frustrates me. It breaks my heart because I genuinely believe that when you come to know who Jesus really is and you build a relationship with him and you embed yourself in a healthy spiritual community, that you begin to live the life you were meant to live. It changes everything. And I want to gift that, that gift to as many people as possible. 
And it feels overwhelming to me at times because I can't do it by myself. I can't do the job by myself. I can't meet the budget by myself. But God's not asking me to. What he's asking me is the same thing he always asks everybody. What do you have? What can you do? I know it looks like a lot. I know it's overwhelming. I know you gritted your teeth when it was presented to you. I'm the one who's going to do the miracle, but you have a part to play. What do you have? What can you do? There's a saying that the best things in life are free, and I disagree with this wholeheartedly. It might be free to you, but anything meaningful costs someone something. Just because you don't know who or what doesn't mean it was cheap or easy. And if you think that something's free, it just means that somebody has been stealthy about their generosity. I've been the pastor, one of the pastors here for 11 years now, and I've heard a lot of people say things like, man, this place saved my life. This place saved my marriage. This place saved my view of God. And when they say it, I believe them. And the reason that any of those stories can be true, the reason that your life and your kids' lives are being invested in here today in a way that makes you and them better, the reason that this is a, a safe place in the middle of this community for people to come and learn and laugh and question and cry and find friends and find hope and find healing is because regular people have been sacrificially investing in an environment that will satisfy so many more needs than just their own. We're here because a lot of other people decided not to keep their loaves and fish to themselves, but to live open-handedly, to leave an inheritance that includes you and your children and your grandchildren people who chose not to just focus on themselves and their immediate family, but the long-term care of this community to take what God gave them and to distribute it, to share freely and give generously. And although they probably don't know you, they did it for you. You're the benefactor. You're the recipient. And now it's your turn not to pay them back, but to pay it forward. And I want to ask you this to wrestle with this week. What am I currently consuming that God might be calling me to contribute? Because we're all sitting in the middle of the same moment. To a certain extent, we are all a little boy with a little handful of what we think we need and we're being presented with a need that is bigger than all of us. And we feel overwhelmed and we're torn because we're nervous if I distribute it and I go back to God. What if there's nothing left? What if he doesn't take care of me? What if he doesn't generously supply all my needs? What if God actually awakens me to the fact that some things that I think I need are actually wants 
and he challenges me to pare down my life so I can be a part of telling bigger stories. I, I don't wanna have to face that. And the reason I put all this in front of you is because someday your life will come to a close and the people you spin it with and around will inherit something from you. And an impression of who you are and what you did with what you had and why. And I wonder what they'll say. I wonder if they will find themselves sifting through stacks of meaningless stuff or if they will sit around sharing stories of the people and places you sacrificed to make better. When it's all over, I hope they sit around and say, man, they were a good person. And I know this because I can point to the legacy they left with what they gave. That everything that they had, they didn't hoard. That they lived open-handedly. They said no to stuff so they could say yes to stories. And one of those stories was mine. I guarantee you, as someone who's done a lot of hospital visits and a lot of funerals and sat with a lot of people reflecting on a life they lived and somewhat regret. You want to hand down what God has given you to the people around you in a way that points them to Jesus. Because feeling truly blessed is building something bigger than you with people that you like for people in need. My prayer is that today you'll internalize that challenge. It won't just be convicting. It will be inspiring and will push you into action. Would you bow your heads across this room? I want to pray this truth into your life today. I got to thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for every heart, every life. I thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us. I thank you for all of the ways that we have been impacted and made better because of this place and these people. God, I pray that you would help us to see all we have as having come from you, that we would see it as not just something to meet our needs, but something to care for the long-term needs of our community. And God, as we allow what you give us to flow through us to the people and places around us that are bringing heaven to earth, God, may we have a sense of fulfillment that we are living our lives to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, 
Help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.